So Brett, I have actually been pumping you lately for some advice and taking your expertise. As you know, I am in a transitional phase of my business. And I think it's a really good time to revisit the three stages of growth, right? I know it's something you've talked about on your website, but now framing it under the whole freelance entrepreneur theme of which I am one and you are one, I think there's some benefit, right? Let's uh, toss that around a little bit and see what we can offer listeners to help them kind of understand what stage they're in. But can you tell me, and those who don't know, and and of course, I have a little bit of insider knowledge, but tell me a little bit about why knowing these stages is important to an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just where you're spending your time and your focus and your resources, right? They're limited supply in both time and money and, and people. And so this is you know, these three stages. So this is not scientific. I haven't done massive studies on it, but the trends are very specific and the dollar amounts may be a little bit off. But but what I found is really three stages before you get to big company, right? So the first stage I like to call the learning phase, just getting started, right? You're a consultant, a freelancer. You're just rounding up your first couple of customers, right? Figuring out how to deliver, you know, whether whatever that this the solution or service is, and you're starting to figure out you're probably underpricing what you sold. <laughs> That's almost a given. But like I said, everything's in a learning phase and you just want to learn as much as possible and figure out where and what the value is you're providing. What I call the second stage is, is a little more foundational, right? You've got a number of customers now. You're probably delivering. You've probably got some new folks coming in. Now's the time to start thinking about some some baseline processes. So, you know, I like to talk about an 80-20 rule, right? So 20% will get you 80% of the result. This is the time to start thinking about it. You don't have to have super detailed processes, but start to outline what you're doing because as you start to grow, you're going to have to to automate some of those things and streamline the processes and it's going to provide a better customer experience. And then lastly is what I like to call operationalized, right? Now you've moved beyond, you've got steady customers coming in, you want to keep the flow of customers churn. So now you really got to put some systems in place to help grow. And way back to your first question is what do we, why do it? Because I've seen some people that go straight in the learning phase, straight to operationalize, right? They want to document everything. It's, It's just not necessary. And so I just, it's easy to help center people on where they are in that journey and kind of where they should be thinking about their time and efforts really, right? So it's it's aligned and you want to maximize what you're getting out of it. Do you think that every business will naturally get to that point or should they maybe is a better question? I think they should. And I think where the challenge lies, right, especially with non-funded companies, we never really get past the learning stage or we get burned out through the learning stage because it's just a constant cycle. Okay, I've got a new customer. That one's over. I've got to go find a new customer. And it goes back to what we talked about, you know, thinking bigger, right? Having what what's your plan? What's your goal and goal before plan? To, to be able to grow that business and or what you want out of the business. And I think a lot of, you know, the the audience we're talking to never get beyond that because it's just, ah, I'm a contractor, right? I'll just pick up my next thing. And, and you're never really thinking yourself as a, as a business owner. I mean, even use this podcast, right? So if I, I look back at the start of this, which, you know, you and I were talking the other day, it's going to be three years since the the inception of what this podcast is now. 
And my original goal for it, I didn't have a goal. I even say two years ago, not even two years ago, six months, I probably didn't have a goal for what I wanted with the podcast. And we can almost think of this as its own little mini startup, right? That, hey, I've been in the learning phase for way too long and I just never put the resources or the time to help grow it. It did organically and did so. But, you know, since you joined, you know, full time as the co-host, we've got some goals. We've got some plans that we want to do with this podcast. And it's just it's changing, right? It's moving it quicker. You know, it, it's only been a month, but we're starting to see the numbers uptick already because, again, we put some focus, we have goals and we put a plan behind it. So, right. Anyway. And you know what? I think part of the challenge is is that in the earliest days for freelancers, it's feast or famine. And you're so worried about putting food on the table or having any kind of income whatsoever that you're not thinking about a plan necessarily. You're thinking about how am I going to get that that client? How am I going to get that customer? And that drives you. And quite frankly, I can speak to this most definitely. And I'll, I'll say this because the learning phase is is building your infrastructure, right? And it's so critical to do that properly. I did not define who my ideal client was. The notion, this is 2011, so it was a little bit more of a novelty then, but still, the notion of working for myself and earning potentially unlimited, though it didn't earn unlimited, like spoiler alert, I, my income was not <laughs> unlimited, but, but earning unlimited big. money, exactly. That was so enticing that I didn't worry about it. If I, if I had clients who, or prospective clients who were interested in my services and they weren't ideal, I didn't enjoy doing that work or... Frankly, I, uh, I'd i like to talk about this. You, you said something about talking about how much you're going to charge because I think this is a big one. But I really didn't think about that. And I wish I had because quite frankly, it took probably six or seven years. And part of that's because I'm a pushover to, to start to get away from the clients I didn't like to work with because once you become used to that and it sustains your business, then you're stuck. It, you can be stuck. And that's something that you know, obviously, a lot about. But I think it's really important, and, and, and maybe we could talk about this because I think a lot of our listeners are going to be in this this phase uh, of how important it is to define your ideal customer profile. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great place to I mean, kind of start. We're already into it, but no, I think in the learning phase, it's it's going to evolve. And again, I'll use my my business not the not the podcast, but last at the end of last year, I was in four different types of engagements. And they were very, four very different. But what it kind of reinforced and taught me is, you know, what I want to do, but more importantly, what I don't want to do yes. and what's not scalable. So heading into this year, it's much more focused and you know, more productized, which we can get into a little bit later as well. But it really was finding who do I want to work with? Who can I help? And does that align with with what my business is? So I think you're right. I think, you know, too often we chase the dollar, which it's natural, right? You're, right. you're on your own. You're, you're worried. You want to make sure you get it. And that's the key is to get your business in the learning phase to a point where then you can get much more targeted on, on who you want to work with. And it's okay. I mean, it's okay to say no. And it's easy to say when you're on this end, but we've both yeah. been there. So it, it is, and it's going to move your business forward once you start to focus on who is really going to drive your business. Yep. Now, for me, I was like, okay, I came from an agency environment, and I knew that agencies needed writers. So that was the low-hanging fruit for me. The problem is I worked for a terrible agency that treated people terribly and treated clients terribly, and they paid writers. (laughs) Anyone who's listening right now, they wanted me as a head of, I was copy editor and an account manager. It was really awful. 
They That's wanted a bad me. Combination, by the it way. really is. Like they, <laughs> I just wore a ton of hats. It was a great learning experience for me, but it was more learning what not to do. They wanted me to go find writers from content mills, which was a really big thing in like 2010, 2011. And they wanted me to pay them $5. And they were charging clients for a word or for a for blog post for an entire blog uh, post. Jesus. They were, they were charging clients a hundred dollars. And this is a very specific industry. They worked in the staffing and recruiting industry and um, the clients were totally breaking their budget to afford this agency. And I thought, this is horseshit. <laughs> like, how terrible. They're treating their clients terribly. They're giving them junk writing from junk writers who don't know anything about their industry or care to because when you're making five bucks an article, you're working on speed. So you're getting yeah, out junk volume. as fast as you can. Yeah, there's no value to this and charging a hundred dollars. So I thought to myself, <laughs> self, no, self. Yeah. my husband likes to joke about that. He's like, you always do that. I've never done that in my life. I, I said to myself, I do that to self. my wife all the time too. And she still doesn't get on when I do it to her. So self, you could charge half as much as these people as this agency save people money and like cut the crap and give them the experience. And so that was my whole mindset basically was um, eliminate the middleman. I mean, when you work with an agency, this is going to sound terrible, but a lot of agencies, it's all built on overhead because there's so many structures and levels. You have an account coordinator, account manager, uh, you know, the copywriter, the copy editor, and then everybody's paycheck is built into that. And then the overhead for the owners. So if you're spending, you know, $175 an hour, which nowadays is a pretty uh, standard 175 to 200 agency rate, maybe the person who's doing the actual work is maybe making, I don't know, $35, $40 an hour. So work with someone who's charging you $125, $150, and you're getting all their expertise. You're not paying someone else's overhead, you know? So anyway, overhead, that was yeah. my like guiding light. But then I went in and I was so nervous because people balked at my prices that I lowered my prices. And so now yeah. whenever I meet new freelancers or anyone starting their own business, I'm like, charge more. That That's my yeah. biggest piece of advice. But anyway, so that was my learning curve. I can add to that because one of the things, because my entire career, it was kind of bounced back and forth between enterprise and then startups and enterprise and, you know, ran an agency, believe it or not, I actually did have a digital agency back in 10, right after, started that right after the uh, financial crisis. So good yeah. time to, to start a business, but, you know, never really charged what we were worth, but didn't really know what we were worth. And right. my aha moment came when I went into management consulting at the tail end of what is my current career, right before I moved back into the to the startup world. And when I found out what they were billing me out at, right, and then what I was actually getting as a percentage of that, I'm like, I, they basically showed me what my worth was to the marketplace. And the fact was just the way it was structured, I wasn't getting a ton of, like most consulting firms, right, the leads will come in or engagements and these things, but I was you know, pounding the pavement for most of mine. So I'm like, if I'm doing all this <laughs> and they're taking that bigger cut of it, at least now I know what my market rate is. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of an eye opener from that perspective. But from that point forward, I've never settled for less because I already know what it can pay. Now, obviously different clients are going to pay different amounts, but then that's your choice, right? Is that, do you yeah. want to take a deep discount for this Probably, I would say, advise not to. You're commoditizing but, yourself by yes, taking a discount. I've never, I had some company that tried to nickel and dime me, and I, I'm like, here's my quote, and they're like, well, we'll give you this. I'm like, you're not buying a car. I didn't say that <laughs> because I'm a Pollyanna and too nice, but I ran, friggin' ran from that company 
So my biggest piece of, of uh, I've got a couple pieces of advice for a rate you're charging. One, if you're charging whatever the rate is that you set and clients jump at it and you find yourself very busy too quickly, you're not charging enough. Right. hundred percent. Like that is, you might be thrilled that you have so much work. However, like, you know, that is a huge sign you are not charging enough. And obviously you can't just raise your rates, especially if you're, that's one reason I know you lose stability, but here's another tip. I'm just fast tips here. If you're on a month to month contract, you have some flexibility, but you can't obviously, you know, change a month in, but you know, right. um, if you're on a year contract, you're kind of locked in and stuck six months. A lot of those are becoming less common. It's nice for a freelance entrepreneur to have that stability, but you know, you're getting away from that. So that's one piece of advice. And then the second piece, and this is something that I, I'm sorry, I don't come with these quick hits, but this is a big one that I, I, I just wish that I had learned earlier is to set your ideal annual salary. Here's an exercise that you should do figure out exactly how much time you want to take off. Now that's going to be, you know, that's going to fluctuate throughout the year, but let's say for the average entrepreneur, you know, flexibility is a big part of it. For me, I'm looking to take eight weeks off a year and that includes days here and there, especially in summer once my daughter's in school and then she'll be home with me. So eight weeks. So subtract that you got 44 weeks in the year. If you're a freelance entrepreneur, especially if you're a writer or working in marketing, so I could speak to that and designers. I mean, this is mentally taxing work, right? And if you're doing it all yourself in this learning stage, which you probably are, uh, you know, that's draining. You are not going to be writing eight hours a day. You're not going to be designing eight hours a day. So realistically, look at how many hours a day you're going to be working. For me, it's probably, and also with your schedule, let's say four. So do the math. So if if your goal is to make $100,000 a year, divide that by the 44 weeks to build in for your vacation. Divide that by your uh, 20 hours of billable time. Per, per week. And then you're going to know what you need to charge. Now, if the, the last piece of advice on that is if you don't have the level of, of experience necessary to charge that amount, then you've got to do some stuff to beef up your credentials because that's that's a fine line. So it's, it's charging what you're worth and charging what customers will pay um, and charging what you need to make what you want. But you know, just be aware of though your credentials and, and there are alternative ways to boost that and get you where you need to be. And maybe you set a little bit lower goal until you build up more of a client base and, and results that you can speak to. But those are my quick hits for setting yeah. prices. <laughs> Back to having what's your goal, right? What's your, yeah. What do you want to get out of it? And, you know, Katie, shout out, she's been on the podcast before she started her own training and development company. And her goal was to, you know, take a month off in August to go climbing somewhere in the world. And then, you know, another month in December, I may be getting the facts off a little bit, but, and so she built that into her plan or what she wanted with her company. And, you know, I think it, it's good. And the only thing I would add on to your um, charge is initially, yes, charge to make, but also then you start to see what your value is, right? So, you can't charge if you needed to make, you know, $450 an hour in the market rate. And even for premium people is only 225, probably not a good plan Yeah, <laughs> in that sense. But again, if you, if yeah, you want to make $200,000, but you only want to work two weeks out of the year, it's not very realistic. Yeah. So it, it, you got to get reality baked into it as well. Yeah. And there's more that we could go into. I'm sure we'll probably do an entire episode on this on to hit that rate, you know, building passive income sources and outsourcing to maximize your hourly output and all of that. There's a lot that we can do. But for someone who's in that first stage, that learning stage, 
these are the earliest exercises that you should be doing. And if you haven't already done them, if you've just kind of been cruising, it's okay to like pause. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because, uh, but before you're even able to make it into that foundational stage, or perhaps you're in it and stuck. And one of the reasons you're stuck is because you didn't properly, well, not properly. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not like chiding you, but maybe you didn't recognize when you were in that earlier stage that you needed to do that. So it's okay if you're stuck to go back. And I think too, as you start to look at the next phase, the foundational, right now you're you're seeing what worked, what didn't work. And one thing I would all encourage folks is to look at, is there a way to productize what you're yes. doing, right? And if you can get month to month of a, I'm a big fan of, you know, anything as a service. And I think we've talked about, you know, the Whoop bands versus the iPhone or the Apple Watch and the difference in the model. But I think even for service businesses, right, I use, our, you know, our friend, I don't, I've never met Brett, but at DesignJoy, right, his is a monthly retainer, basically unlimited designs, but you do one design at a time. And, you know, two years ago, it wasn't that way, right? It was a project-based thing. And if you could figure out how to servitize, is that a word, servitize your, your business? It is now. Yeah, it it just makes so much sense and people are okay with that. And you just got to be able to understand, hey, and this month, this is what you're going to get. It's going to be, you know, three posts plus, you know, a couple conversations. Because the only other thing I'd follow up to is with your pricing, once you set it, it's almost impossible to raise it. It You can always lower, but it's almost, once you've got a client, there's almost no way you can, even if you're doing really good work. It's it's going to be hard. They've already set the price in their head and it's going to be hard to, to move on, which is OK. You can learn from it. I'll say for direct. Yes. If you're just getting started as a writer or designer and you're working with agencies, it's a little easier because they raise their rates and they're expecting you to. Because my first rate, I think I may have shared this in another episode, was $35 an hour, even though I knew that the, uh, the agency I was working for was charging like $140 or whatever, or $100 for a post. And um, I was so nervous when I initially received pushback that that's that's what I did. And so um, I remember after my first year, I raised it to 40 with an agency that I was doing a bulk of my work with and they didn't even blink. And then I realized, shit, she didn't even blink. So, A, I knew that part of it was that I was doing good work. Part of it was because I was charging so low that I was still charging way below market value. But whatever. Live and learn. Learn from me, folks. I'm looking at the mic. from all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's, (laughs) we've all been there and still are out there. We're we're still learning as we go through the process. And again, I think one, definitely one of the big, big things is you can probably charge more than you think you can charge. I mean, that's almost universal. I haven't seen anybody that hasn't. And this is where all the work and the value is going to come from is, is this next generation of entrepreneurs, right? You're freelance. We're all going to be our own micro businesses whether we think it or not, and the folks that are prepared and think about it and structured that way are the ones that are going to reap, reap the benefits of it. You know, I, I mean, CRM specialists are going to be their own business. Everybody is going to be their own specialist. I like that you, that you touched upon some different types of freelance entrepreneurs, because of course I know writing and creative and, and that more agency standard stuff. And, and this is actually especially important for like the the Salesforce admins or the Salesforce developers and the the HubSpot implementation specialists. Yeah. For anyone, one other piece of advice that I would give you is to make sure that you understand how long things are taking you. To that point, yes. you know, we we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but charging on output versus hourly, there are some clients who will push you on hourly. 
be careful with that because if you know, if you're coming from a background where you did this in a corporate environment, you know how much value you're providing and you know roughly what people are charging. So you can come in with the standardized price. And I, I personally think that's a much better way to go for sure. You know how much value there is, but especially in this, because there can be intricacies and, and little things that come up. So you, you need to build that protection in for yourself. And then that avoids the whole uh, out of scope, like, oh, I said, this is eight to 10 hours, but then I can't, you know, and, and having to go back to a client and say, well, this is out of scope, or this is taking longer than I thought, and then you charge more, then you have upset clients, and it's just a big disaster for you. So yes. accurately determining how much common things you do, how long that takes you, and then pricing accordingly is going to save you some headaches down the road. And that's for anyone. But thinking about CRM and, and Salesforce and HubSpot in particular, I think that could be very powerful. I think it's huge, right? I think scope creep. And I'm not a big fan of the hourly just because I'd rather do a, a flat rate that said, hey, here's what the project is. Here's what it's including in this project. And part of it, again, back to the learning phase you're going to test and see you may, you know, get not, you're may work with more hours than you anticipated just because you, you priced it wrong or scoped it wrong, but you learn. And then as yes. you start to grow, you can say, all right, I know what this engagement looks like. You're going to find it back to the 80, 20, right? 80% of your work's going to come from the same 20% type of projects. So you're really going to start to understand. I think the good, really good, you made lots of good points, but the one is this the scope creep. I mean, it's okay to tell a client, hey, this is what we talked about. This was what we were going to do. This is what we were going to deliver. I was going to deliver. And now you want me to do X, Y, and Z. I can do that, but it's going to be more. And I think definitely in the early stage, you're you're more likely to say, okay, I can, I'll just do that. And again, it's part of learning and saying, hey, I'm not going to do that. But unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that never get out of that. And I think that's where you get burned out or all of a sudden you're working 35, 40 hours a week for $6 because you're, you've, you've scoped. So I don't want to scare people, but I do think it's, again, learn, right? Feel what, what are the, your best engagements and, and refine from there. Yeah, and it really does come back to doing those exercises in the early days, because I'll tell another story. I worked with an agency. It was one person and then he outsourced everything and he charged a flat retainer rate for everyone. So it was marketing, brand, more branding, but then with some marketing tactical implementation. And he was like, my retainer is $1,500 a month. I'm like, okay, great. What's included in that? <laughs> and um, he lists everything out. I'm like, well, how long does this take you? He had no idea. And so I came in and was working with him on one client and I did the math. I'm like, name. I don't want to say the name. Yeah, You're yeah. making $30 an hour. This is not sustainable. This is not sustainable. And he's like, well, I, I believe that if we deliver and over deliver for a client, then we're going to get more referrals. That is not a business strategy. And this is a very intelligent person. And right. I'm not saying that if you make these mistakes, because we all make these mistakes. That's why Brett and I are having this conversation. We've, we've made the mistakes, but that he clearly didn't start, <laughs> you know, with that goal of mine to work backwards. And it was very difficult for me to convince him. And ironically, when I stopped working with him, clients came to me. Now, ethically, I was not comfortable with that. And I yeah. talked to him through it. And he was like, no, take them. And I'm like, if they're not happy with me, go. But it was because he was constantly running around with like a chicken with his head cut off. Look at us with these really disturbing animal. Um, yeah, but, no. that's because uh, it's so damn early. So we're gonna. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, uh, and he wasn't able to deliver because he was constantly scrambling because he couldn't handle all of his clients. And he wasn't charging enough. Like it was just all very sad. So anyway, that's just a, a little a little story, a true story to illuminate yeah, I mean, some of what I've been saying. 
And we all have it, right? It's, it's just, again, if we can get through it, you don't have to go back to corporate. <laughs> right? At the end of the day, that's it, right? If we can save one person that doesn't want to be in corporate from going back to corporate and, you know, that that's what, kind of what we're here for. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting because we almost could put all these lessons right in a, in a book <laughs> and maybe we'll continue to get more, you know, refined as, as we're doing this, but uh, it's it's funny as we talk about these lessons you share. I'm like, shit, that was exactly what happened to me as well. So I think everything we've talked about, hopefully either folks are going or they can learn and, and avoid or understand it's okay. This is going to be the process that you go through as you go through it. But I think having that confidence and what's the goal, right? What, what do yep. you want out of it? Um, well, it's funny because when you get to those, uh, to get to those other stages, you just have to have that for, I mean, you have to yeah. have the, that stable start and, and that's where the learning comes in. And I just think people, like, like you said earlier, people want to kind of bypass that and get right to, you know, setting the dictating operations and bringing in uh, employees or VAs or, or whatever, but like you can't get there unless you, you really tighten things up in the early days. Well, and understand, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, which again, we can do another whole episode is with the customer, man, this is all about mostly learning what you want to do, but learn from the customer. And, you know, the point I'll tie off when you said going, you know, crazy with process. And I think that's what venture backed companies do. All of a sudden they're not even through the learning stage and all of a sudden they've got money to throw at it and they have no idea where to throw the money. They're putting the processes in the wrong place. And, you know, I think, again, we're seeing more and more examples of freelancers building million dollar businesses with no employees. So, I mean, that's really yep. something I've latched onto is, man, you could build a really big seven or eight might be stretching an eight figure company, but at least seven with no employees by using well, and who the hell is going to complain about that with no employees <laughs> right. and like no stress. Like I, I, again, we talk about Justin Welsh a lot, but I think he personifies that. Like is if your goal is to have this big company with all these employees and that's what you want. Okay. But there's a hell of a lot of stress and, and things that come with that. But if you can earn probably more, um, and, and eliminate so much of that day to day, why wouldn't you? So I, I mean, again, yeah, it's I'm all about you. knowing your want, but it's more attainable than ever to have a six, seven, even eight figure business without W2. Minimal. Yeah. yeah. And just even going back to your example, you're talking about the agency, you had like four layers of people getting paid. Yep. Today's world, you don't need those four layers. There's ways to do that and set up the process that it's a much flatter organization. And, you know, we don't even have to get to that point. But no, again, but you're right. think bigger, and, man. It's Yeah. And the funded companies, to your point, I mean, I was just working with a tech startup and they have Series B and they have all this influx of cash and they have more than doubled in the last six months their headcount. But the processes aren't there. So it's a freaking shit show. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really vulgar this morning. But it is. It's a shit show. And, and the expectation is like, well, we'll just grow into it. But I, it, I can see the writing on the wall. I think it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess, and uh, it's a shame. I mean, they'll. I'm sure they'll figure it. They're very smart people, but that's it's that's like exceedingly obscene growth, and uh, without having the product. So anyway, there's a whole lot of the the point being, there's an awful lot of mess that comes with when you fast forward out of eagerness or anticipation or just um, ambition without you know doing the little things. Yeah. No, I think when we had Brian on a couple of weeks ago, it was a perfect, you know, how do I, yes. you know, start wait, you know, working myself out of the business and have business run on its own, I think is huge. And think about it early, but you can't do it too early. And maybe the last point I'd, I'd make for, for today is, 
don't forget your customer, right? I think it's too often as we start to grow that, you know, we forget about our current customers. And I like to talk a lot about, I mean, that's your best sales engine is your current customers. Let them do the talking about you. But the only way they're going to do that is if you're taking care of them and not just focused on the next customer coming in. So again, good problem to have, but I think it's, it's way too easy and too often. And I've been guilty of that is, you know, not paying as much attention to the current customers and worrying more about the next customers coming in when it should be the other way around. The more you take care of your current customers, it's just going to feed the growth engine. And it seems counter sometimes, but and the old analogy is, you know, if you had a hole in the boat, right, it's your churn or customers leaving. All of a sudden you got four holes in the boat. Guess what? You got to bring in four times as many customers to fill in what, what you're losing. So, so that's one thing I didn't want to go through this episode without saying, hey, take care of your customers and, you know, they'll take care of you on the back end. So. Yeah, no, good. that was perfect way to end it. I felt like that was like a like Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires. Like it was very <laughs> dramatic, and I felt like it was a good way to end. Yeah, that means the espresso is kicking in. So, <laughs> no, but that was All good right. stuff. And hopefully, I mean, maybe we can do another episode down the road where we talk more about how to create those processes, how to recognize when you've moved into that second and third stage too, because I think there's so much value and understanding where you are in a business and and using that to guide. I I love how you've defined these stages of growth. And I think that it's critical, particularly for freelance entrepreneurs to adopt that mindset and and work on the structures and processes that help you move from stage to stage, or at least identify what stages is the end goal for you. Good stuff. All right, Diana, good stuff. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 